0: Yeah, I can take the second.
1: Hello, this is William Fink, and this is the Christiania Open Forum. It is Monday, July, I can't see my watch. 25th, I'm having a real hard problem with these new glasses in my close vision, I'm sorry. 2011, I played that song because it is a jungle out there. Life is a jungle. Life is a jungle, because we are overrun with beasts, who live by the law of the jungle. You give a nigger an inch where I come from, and he's crawling into your bed that night. Every act of kindness is an act of weakness. That's what the streets and the prisons are like in the presence of the beast. Sometimes my mannerisms, they reflect that. And that's just the way it is. I see myself as just one man who's caught up in in a very large war. A war for the survival of our race and our civilization. Yes, I know that everything is in the hands of Yahweh. And that he is determined that we will win. But that doesn't mean that I shouldn't, as Paul said, fight. The good fight. (laughs) So for those people that are in in, in this for um, a social club, if you want to join a Rotary club, that's fine. If you want to run off and be a Boy Scout leader or or um, a Girl Scout leader, that's fine too. But if you're looking for social teas and 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 niceties and and pleasantries, well, well, you probably shouldn't be subscribed to my Facebook page. And, and you shouldn't be on, um, <laughs> you, you shouldn't be coming here and, and you shouldn't be um, one of my Facebook friends because that's not where you're going to get. And, and if you're going to criticize me, well, well, I remember as a boy, uh, I would always get into fights. And my sister would always run off and say, Mommy, though, always fighting again. Well, my sister was a pain in the ass. And that taught me at an early time that females simply don't understand the fights of men. And they shouldn't get involved. Women don't belong on the battlefield. Yes, we have some good women that at times can rise up and fight a good fight. And, And every time we see in the Bible that a woman had to take the lead, it was because the men weren't doing their jobs. They were a bunch of effeminates. Yes, we have many of those situations today. But if you go and put the gloves on, whether you're fighting with me or against me, don't try to censor me. And and don't try to complain about my language. If you're fighting the fight... You're going to have to put up with the things in the street. That's the way it is. If you hear a dirty word, it's usually for a damn good reason. If, if a well-placed curse expresses outrage, that doesn't um, that, that doesn't violate the code which Yahweh gave us in the Bible. I'm sorry. Yeah, you want to talk about bad things coming out of people's mouths. Yeah, you talk about those who are condemning their brother. Not those who are saying an occasional curse. You talk about those who are resisting the will and the mercy of God. You don't talk about those who are conveying a, an occasional bad word. Christ used the Greek word copras, That means shit. Okay, I could have said that nicer. Yes, I could have. In some contexts, it belongs. When, when men are fighting with men... I'm not about being nice. This isn't a Rotary Club. That's the way it is. So I just thought I'd clear that up. Life's tough. If you don't want a little dirt in your ears, you probably shouldn't be trying to live it. You you should probably be off with the, the social ladies in the tea halls or the men at the, the the men at the moose lodge. That's just the way it is. If you're gonna fight the fight. You're not going to get in the way of those who are swinging their axes. Constantly confronted with what I believe to be poor interpretations of Scripture, people often take it personally when I disagree with them. This essay will, I hope, present what I believe are the most reliable methods for interpreting the Bible, and reflect the methods that I have endeavored to employ in my translations, my essays, and all of my studies. All too often, interpretations of Scripture are offered where it is obvious that verses are taken out of context, meaning that the related statements in the rest of Scripture have not been thoroughly considered when an opinion concerning a passage in question was first formulated. If we can accept Scripture as the inspired Word of Yahweh our God, then we must realize that no passage of Scripture can be taken out of context and understood apart from all of the others. And also that no passage of Scripture can conflict with, no two passages of Scripture can conflict with one another. Where two passages seem to conflict, it is evident that the understanding of the person who notices the conflict is at fault, and not either of the passages of Scripture. But what is Scripture? Firstly, Scripture is not the King James Version or any other translation. All translations are by men. And all translations contain errors. Because all men are fallible. Of course, I'm not excluding myself. All men are fallible. This, of course, I even admit to be true of my own translations. So to examine Scripture, if one aspires to be an elucidator of truth and a commentator on the Word of God, it is necessary that one acquaint himself with the original languages of Scripture, which are indeed Greek, Hebrew, and in some Old Testament and Apocryphal books, Aramaic. Secondly, manuscript evidence and support for passages of Scripture must be established. The biblical books have, for many centuries, been passed down from scribe to scribe, and not always accurately copied. In some cases, interpolations appear, which simply did not exist in earlier manuscripts. Some of these were purposeful elaborations or added tales, and others were simply marginal notes that eventually became incorporated into the text. Word variations also appear in many instances upon comparing the ancient copies of the manuscripts of Scripture. While they are never welcomed, most often these word variations are harmless and reflect an updating of the language to replace obsolete words, or differences in dialect since even Koine Greek had some regional variations. Others are plain scribal errors. To sort all these out, we must rely upon the preponderance of witnesses among the oldest and most reliable manuscripts which cannot be determined unless we first examine all of the manuscripts which we have. This is the art of the textual critic, and it is a necessary one as long as the critic is conservative and fair in his estimations. Some textual critics indeed had their own agendas, and they must all be scrutinized. That all takes some time and deep study. A lot of people that run their mouths about the Bible have never seen anything outside of the King James Version. In my own translation of the New Testament, I have not relied upon any textual textual criticism, but my own. Not to say that I'm that much better, right? And have examined the readings of only the oldest of the Great Uncials and the recorded papyri fragments. In order to make those criticisms, generally my translations follow the codices Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, which each represent independent textual traditions, along with the papyri, where in comparison the authorized King James Version generally follows the later codices Bazai and Alexandrinus. which along with the Ephraim, Ciri, and other later codices represents the so-called Alexandrian tradition. An example of the result of this is that the King James Version contains the verses found at Mark 16, 9-20, which come to us through the codices, Bessai, codices, and Alexandrinus, but which are completely wanting in the older Codices Sinaiticus, and Vaticanus, and are therefore not included in my own translation. That's one example. If, if there is no ancient evidence for passage, it cannot safely be included in Scripture, therefore, to this writer, or to this speaker tonight. New Testament Scripture is that which is found in the oldest Greek manuscripts. And as better manuscript evidence comes along, primarily through sound archaeological research and discovery, we must be willing to evaluate it objectively, and even then upon its acceptance, to amend our canon in order to reflect the new evidence once it is esteemed to be of value. However, new discoveries must be thoroughly evaluated in their historical context. An example of controversial material in this regard is the discovery at Nag Hammadi. We cannot simply accept something because of its antiquity. Rather, the Nag Hammadi manuscripts, often called the Gnostic documents, the Nag Hammadi manuscripts themselves conflict with much of the scripture handed down to us but fortunately we have historical testimony from early Christian writers which enable us to determine that the Nag Hammadi writings were in fact creations of the sect of the Gnostics, a faction of the Judean community of Alexandria, which in the second century sought to corrupt Christianity by fabricating its own versions of the Gospels and related documents. Arriving at these conclusions through an examination of historical evidence and the documents themselves... I have therefore excluded these materials from my work. For an understanding of the Greek language, one cannot rely primarily upon, quote-unquote, New Testament lexicons. A proper understanding of the language cannot be acquired if one's vocabulary is limited to the 5,600-plus unique words contained in the New Testament, understood as the organized religions would like to present them defined in a manner which often supports a particular theology. Rather, the same lexicons must be used, which have been developed by scholars in order to understand the large body of historical, philosophical, and other ancient writings which the Greeks have left us. The scriptures were written in plain language for everyday people to understand and not in some special theological babble. Every word of the Greek New Testament, except where a few Aramaic words appear, was used in a manner that the common Greek-speaking people understood, citing 1 Corinthians 14.9 as a scriptural example. The Old Testament is far more problematic in interpreting. Since there are no extant Hebrew manuscripts of any great, great antiquity, we have several versions of the Old Testament scriptures available, and it may be asserted that all of them are important, since not any of them can claim to be an authority by itself. They all have their unique and particular problems in addition to the many problems that they share in common with one another. The Septuagint is a translation effected by fallible men, and therefore it has the same problems that many modern Bible translations have. It contains many translations which reflect the biases of the time in which it was written, and it often also reflects a poor understanding of Hebrew, of history, and Scripture. Since all traditions are to some extent I'm sorry, since all translations are, to some extent, also interpretations. This is especially true in the prophetic books, where the Hebrew of the Masoretes is, for that reason, especially valuable. Also, through the science of archaeology, we have a much better understanding today of remote antiquity than the translators of the Septuagint had. Yet, in many instances, the Septuagint is much more valuable than the Masoretic text, since apparently it was translated from far more reliable Hebrew manuscripts than the Masoretes have presented to us. For the most part, the Septuagint also represents a text that the apostles knew and used where they themselves quoted Old Testament scripture. Yet, because both the Septuagint and the Masoretic text contain obvious flaws, both must be employed when examining Old Testament passages and other important witnesses just as old, to further assist us us with that endeavor. The historian Flavius Josephus wrote his Antiquities of the Judeans as a summary of Scripture, which the more recent history leading down to his own time appended to it with the most, the more recent history leading down to his old time appended to it. This work, while it reflects the learning of the first century Pharisees, is nevertheless crucial to biblical studies since it reflects the Hebrew manuscripts which Josephus worked from. Another viable source for scripture is the Dead Sea Scrolls, which although, while they are indeed sectarian, contain many books and passages of Scripture in Hebrew and Aramaic, and are therefore an important witness predating the Masoretic text by several centuries. While most of the Dead Sea Scrolls support the Septuagint readings of Scripture, in some instances they instead verify readings from the Masoretic text. One rather crucial passage which illustrates this predicament is Isaiah 9, verse 6. an important Messianic prophecy which the Septuagint reads quite differently, but which the Masoretic Jews rather surprisingly maintained. But the most important tool, and, and, and which the Dead Sea Scrolls maintains, but the most important tool which we must employ in order to understand the Old Testament writings is the New Testament, since Joshua Christ and the Apostles were much closer to the original meanings of Scripture than we can hope to be, then in interpreting the Old Testament, we must also examine their words wherever we can elucidate Old Testament pass- wherever those words can elucidate Old Testament passages for us. An obviously important example of this is the reading of Genesis 4:1 which is obviously corrupt in its, Hebrew, in its current Hebrew form, and suffered that corruption at an early time, even before the Septuagint translation was created. Furthermore, there are apocryphal books, which are supported by the New Testament citations, or other evidence, which refute the Septuagint and Masoretic readings of passages such as Genesis 4.1 and therefore they must also be given merit and considered. It must also be understood that the Septuagint and Masoretic texts are both official, quote-unquote, versions of Scripture and a reflection of the various authorities, religious authorities, of their respective times and sects and therefore they must be treated accordingly, not blindingly accepted or patently despised, but examined and treated objectively. In summation, we must not dismiss any witness to Scripture, whether it be the Septuagint, the Masoretic Text, the Aramaic Targums, the Samaritan Pentateuch, the writings of Josephus, or the Dead Sea Scrolls. They are all important witnesses which may help us arrive at a more accurate understanding of Scripture. Yet they must all be examined through the lens of the New Testament truth. And in that regard, certain apocryphal books, such as the original portions of 1 Enoch, must also be considered as Scripture, since the New Testament writers quoted from them, and they certainly regarded them as Scripture. Yet the apocryphal and re literature cannot be accepted or rejected without discretion. But they must themselves be examined individually. Not all apocryphal books are equal. They must be examined in their own historical context and from the best evidence of ancient manuscripts. The Hebrew language, its vocabulary and idioms, must also be interpreted whenever possible through contemporary sexual, secular writings. John Lightfoot in his commentary on the New Testament from the Talmud in Hebraica, and Jesenius' Hebrew and Talmudic lexicon, are probably among the most valuable tools for the exegesis of Hebrew as understood in its ancient context. A knowledge of Greek also helps us to understand how the Septuagint translators understood the Hebrew language. However, there is another advantage that we have now, which the translators of the King James Version and other early Bibles, commentaries, and lexicons did not have. Today we have a huge corpus of ancient inscriptions and tablets, which have become available through archaeology and which were not only written in quite similar Semitic languages, such as Akkadian and Aramaic, but which were also contemporary with the original writing of the the Old Testament itself. These offer invaluable insight into the vocabulary and idioms of ancient Hebrew, and must be considered whenever possible. An example of such consideration is found with my own comparison of passages from the ancient epic of Gilgamesh with certain language found in Genesis chapter 3, in a paper called Shemitic Gideon's in Genesis chapter 3, available at Christagenia. One cannot rely solely upon Strong's concordance for biblical exegesis, since while it is often a valuable tool, by itself it is entirely deficient in language studies, and contains no indications from the original text concerning grammar, which is beyond the original intent of the concordance. Walking through the entire collection of biblical books, it can be clearly demonstrated that 65 books of the common biblical canon are indeed inspired. Good argument can, of course, be made to exclude only Esther. And none of the other books of those found in the King James Version can be excluded. All of the evidence and assertions of the critics fails, and upon scrutiny is seen to be little but the calumny of the Jews and other assorted antichrists and scoffers. Additionally, many of the so-called apocryphal books also belong in our canon, but each of them must be evaluated independently. One Maccabees, Susanna, Tobit, the wisdom of Sirach, the wisdom of Solomon, Baruch, and especially one Esdras, all come to mind in this regard. One is just being a much better copy of Ezra than we find in our Bible. With all of this in consideration, there are certain errors which rather unscholarly men often make in biblical interpretation that are absolutely beyond the limits of intelligent, rational thought and honesty. For instance, there is a sect today which insists that Joshua, Christ, Jesus, came to us through the line of Ephraim. Clifton has long addressed this problem with this sect. However, the New Testament scriptures clearly state, in both Hebrews and in the Revelation, that he was of the tribe of Judah, who are not to be confused with today's Jews. Without any proof except for unfounded accusations, this sect refutes both the Revelation and the writer of Hebrews, along with many of the Old Testament scriptures, in order to maintain its argument. To this speaker, such an endeavor, which is not only based, which is not based on any truly ancient knowledge, is sheer buffoonery. In blindness and arrogance, it is quite easy, in my opinion for a man to become the fool. A premise, as defined by the American Heritage College Dictionary, is, quote, a proposition upon which an argument is based, or from which a conclusion is drawn. One of the propositions in a deductive argument... My contention would be that in any exposition concerning history, scripture, science, or any other field of study, when presenting an argument, if your premise is wrong, it only naturally follows that your conclusion is wrong. Unless you happen to be a very lucky and fortunate individual. When I read an idea put forth by another student, the idea that prompted me to write this paper. When I read an... I'm sorry, I'm I'm not there yet. When I read an idea put forth by another student, and we are all merely students, as soon as I realize that a person's basic premise is wrong, I don't have any need to proceed further. I address the premise and explain why it is wrong. From there, I would hope that the person who came up with the the premise, would investigate further, and, if necessary, and it usually is, adjust his conclusion. And only then engages in further debate. But from my own experience, many of the people that I have observed developing false doctrines from errant interpretations of Scripture, would rather become insolent and return criticism rather than reevaluate their vested positions. They often do this because, their pet theory being attacked, they then take it personally rather than inquiring as to why their premise may be wrong a more frequent reaction for many people is to jump up and down and scream. The ideal attitude for me is not to claim any personal authority. The ideal attitude is that the word of Yahweh our God alone is the authority. If one has a theory concerning scripture and wants to turn it into a doctrine, then one better have scripture or at least a very good exposition from demonstrably valid alternative translations or alternative sources of Scripture, in order to support their theory. And the apocryphal books cannot be used to refute Scripture, but may indeed be used to clarify it. An example of that is found in my paper, The Problem with Genesis 6, 4 where it is proven that the term Sons of Heaven, or, or, I'm sorry, Sons of God in the King James Version, should actually read Sons of Heaven. In one recent example, and and this is a couple of years ago, and, and this is the example that prompted me to write this little paper I'm reading. In one recent example, a former contributor to the Christiania forum, made the claim that Noah's wife was serpent seed. His contention is that the whole globe was flooded with the flood of Noah, with all planetary life except that which was on the ark being destroyed, and that the serpent seed was preserved on the ark through Ham and his union with Noah's wife. Yet nowhere in Scripture does it indicate that there was anything wrong with Noah's wife. In fact, Noah was chosen by Yahweh to survive the flood because he was perfect in his descent. The flood, perfect in his generations, as the King James has it, the flood was brought upon Adamkind because of their race mixing, and Noah survived because he was not a race mixer. Yet this one contributor's interpretation basically accuses Noah of being a race mixer and, by extension, accuses Yahweh our God of being a hypocrite. He was blinded by his agenda. His agenda being to prove that the Flood covered the whole world. While maintaining that two seed line teaching was still true. The bottom line is that this individual was forced into concocting a situation by which the seed of the serpent could survive the flood, since he insists that the flood destroyed the entire globe and all life on it, except for those on the ark. Rather than take scripture for what it says, and look at how it would be possible for the serpent's seed the Rephaim and the other non-Adamic races to survive the flood of Noah, he mends Scripture to fit his own personal theory concerning the flood. In doing so, he blasphemes both Noah, since the race-mixing accusation cannot be avoided, and even Yahweh himself. Rather, God is true, and this contributor was a liar. He has made himself a fool, and I don't mind calling him that. If you examine the several chapters of Genesis after the flood account, you'll see the entire race of Adam spelled out as it existed down to Noah's time in, um, in Genesis chapter 10. And, and then in Genesis chapter 15, you'll find the Canaanites. And you'll find the Rephaim, and you'll find several other races who did not descend from Adam, who are not listed in Genesis chapter ten. The Kenites, as even Strong's Concordance admits, are the sons of Cain, and the Rephaim are the sons of the giants. The word Repha means giant and Rephaim is plural for giant. The giants weren't on the ark, and neither were the Kenites, and neither were the two or three other races of people, such as the Cadmonites, who were mentioned in Genesis chapter 15, but who did not descend from Adam in Genesis chapter 10? Scripture, explains itself very well once we lay aside the presumptions of men. In one recent example, I'm sorry, I read that. It is one thing to disagree on what certain obscure words or verses mean, or to disagree on the meaning or impact of certain obscure events. And there's plenty of room for that in the scripture. However, it is quite another thing to invent your own scripture out of thin air in order to support your interpretations of those passages or events. One may get away with this in other venues, but one may not one may not get away with it when offering it to people who have actually read their Bibles. Doing such a thing, Scripture itself will always expose the contrivance as a foolish invention. I alone am not calling such a person a fool. The Scripture is making them into fools because Yahweh is true and every man is a liar. It is merely my duty to point it out when I see it. If one wants to offer interpretations of scripture, whether or not they fit the mold, so to speak, that we in Christian Israel identity have carved out through hard work and through much study, one is more than welcome to do so. If one wants to honestly inquire or even disagree, one is more than welcome to do so. But if one is making up his own scripture and ignoring the greater biblical context which refutes it, in order to push some pet interpretation of biblical prophecy or events, then that person is simply wasting his time, he's wasting the time of other readers, and he should expect to be treated critically and even harshly. We know that Christian identity is the true Christianity, yet it is ridiculed enough by the mainstream so-called clerics and scholars as it is. Therefore, it behooves us to maintain the highest level of scholarship possible, so that when critics assail us, they themselves are found wanting. We cannot ever maintain the appropriate level of scholarship by inventing our own scripture and our own history. We must aim at being overcomers and not novelists. I wrote that in response to some criticism about the way I treated the person who invented the story about Noah's wife. I wrote that on November 10th, 2009, for the Christigenia Forum. There is a copy of it on Christigenia.org also under discussion on the menu, and the name of the paper is On Biblical Exegesis. It's in the opinion section on discussion under the main menu. Over the past three years, since I got out of prison, I've been besieged by people, especially the first year, people with their own pet theories. And they'd call me on the phone, and they'd send me ceaseless emails. And they'd see me in the chats, and they'd be trying to push their little pet theory on me. And I would disprove their theory through scripture. If their theory was good, believe me, I don't care who found it, I would embrace it. Clifton knows that, I've been working with him long enough. I would not only embrace it, I would credit that person for it and embrace it as my own. Because it was true but many of these people have had their own pet theories because they've had their own agendas. And I'm going to name some of these people. First, there was Russell Walker. Now, Clifton and U.I. James have known Russell Walker for a long time. I wrote Russell Walker in 2003 from prison. I wrote him a 20-page letter. I might still have a copy of it somewhere. Russell Walker in 2009 on UI Forum denied ever having written me until I sent him a copy of his own letter with his own signature on it, and then he admitted it. Well, Russell Walker has been pushing this Ephraim Skepper theory, and along with, there's always a hook here, right? Along with the idea that all Jews are Judah, okay? Which actually gives credence to the Jews, right? So that's probably his real... um, that his real agenda. Well, he's been pushing this from skeptic theory and the idea that all Jews are Judah and so all Judah is bad. He's been pushing this for, for 15 years, maybe 20. He's not the only one. Buddy Johnson, Scott Vaught, they're all in, in on it with him. No matter how much scripture, and even Eli James had a debate with Russell Walker and made him look like a fool. No matter how much scripture you hit Russell Walker with, he would never change his mind. He would never humble himself and say, you're right, I'm wrong. I have to change my conclusions. Russell would never do that. So long ago, I branded Russell Walker a clown because that's what he is. He's a clown because he's been clowning everybody out of their time by debating this silly bullshit incessantly, incessantly in emails. So I don't mind calling Russell Walker a clown. I don't repent of that. Not one bit. There have been other Russell Walkers, and I've told them that they were clowns, and I don't repent of that. Well, some people in Christian identity, they get upset with that. They think that we should dress up the clowns and and have fraternity with them. Well, you, you know, like I said at the beginning of of this diatribe tonight. This is a war. We are fighting a war. This isn't joke time. This ain't the damn Rotary Club. This ain't the Kiwanis Club. We're not selling Girl Scout cookies. I'm not in this because I want to make friends. I'm not in this for tea time. To hell with tea time. I had a debate, a a, a, a brief debate with um, Dan Kersey on Facebook the other day. Dan Kersey, I've exposed, as a hypocrite. Right on my Facebook page, it's there right now. I'm going to, um, I already have the transcript on the Christagenia forum, and I'm going to be making some comments on it. Is that mean of me? Because I'm not seeking Dan's fraternity. Well, Dan won't repent. Dan would like to say, and and he has signed on to this, and and he has promoted this agenda, that when two people become married, or, or... and find that they've been married outside of the ideal law and divine will of Yahweh, because they weren't virgins when they married, that regardless of whether they have children or how long they've been together, that they should separate one from another and stop having conjugal relationships. While I've, I've proven Dan wrong from Scripture, he won't admit it. He stonewalls that. He won't discuss it fairly. He tells me that I call people names. Well well yes, occasionally I call people names. I call them clowns. Russell Walker, he's my example tonight. He is a clown. I'm never taking it back. I've called Eli James a universalist. I can prove it no, I'm sorry, I'm not proving it. I'm just pointing it out from Eli's own words. It's true, and I'll never take it back. Is that name calling? I don't think it's name-calling. I think that I'm just stating the truth. I use the term whore. I'm not ashamed of it. It's a Bible word. Okay, some people would rather we use the term prostitute. How about we use the term lady of the night? Well, that's not the term... That, that's not the way I'm using the term. I use the term whore to describe somebody who has sold out the truth to an agenda, no matter whose agenda it is. If you sell out, if you forsake the truth in favor of of an agenda, you're basically being a whore. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. When I use the term whore, I don't mean that you're somebody walking around in a miniskirt at night selling yourself to to the first Negro that shows up with a $20 bill. That's not how I'm using the term. I'm using the term in the allegorical sense, and I mean it. Well, well, some people get upset about that, and that's tough. This is not the Rotary Club. If you want to believe your your Bible, this is a war for the hearts and minds of our people. It is the battle between, it it is the eternal enmity between the seed of the woman, and the seed of the serpent. If you want to fight the battle, like I said before, don't get in the way when your countryman, when your companion is swinging his axe. Well, Dan Kersey set himself out as a hypocrite because Dan, when I confronted him on my Facebook, and it's there for everybody to see, when I confronted him, he um, he basically admitted that even if if, if and, and uh, my my, um, my my strategy was to show him that his engagement in stock trading is basically an endorsement of usury, and it is engagement in stock trading is an endorsement of the usury-based system. Am I judging anybody for that? No, I am not. I only mean to show that we all violate the laws of God in one way or another. And he who violates the laws of God, in one thing, as the Apostle says, are liable for the whole law. I'm not judging stock trader Dan for his stock trading. I'm only trying to pull the plank out of his eye because stock trader Dan is going around telling these people whose marriages didn't begin in the ideal way that if they don't terminate their marriages, that they're doomed to hell. They're, they're going to eternal damnation. He agreed with it. Uh, I mean, Jeff Westover said it, and Dan Kersey agreed with it. It's on his June 2nd podcast in plain language, and that's what I've been addressing with my discourse on the law and my discourse on marriage these last four weeks. To show how wrong these people are. Because they took it personally with me. On June 2nd. If you want to trade stocks, that's fine. Don't go condemn your brother. Or, or try to tell your brother he's condemned because he's also breaking Yahweh's law. I, I mean, we, if we have a plank in our eye, who the hell are we to take the might out, out of our brother's eye? Well, Dan said that if he engages in usury, it's between him and God. I have it in his own words on my Facebook page. Well, then why on June 2nd is he telling men that they have to break their relationships off of their wives or they're going to eternal damnation? If you don't see the hypocrisy there, I mean, it's clear to me that he would insist that we enforce one of the Old Testament laws. And flaunt the others? That's absolute hypocrisy. And that's why Christ said, in the parable of the two brothers, we see one parable. Uh, I mean, we see in this one parable that one brother said that he wouldn't abide by his father's wishes. And later he repented and he did. And the other brother said that he would abide by his father's wishes, and he never did. In other words, he claimed to adhere to the law, but he never kept it. While the other one said, to hell with the law, and then in his heart, he sought to keep it anyway. So he's the one that really did the will of his father. And Christ goes on to say... That tax collectors and whores, because that's what a harlot is, let's use common vernacular here. Tax collectors and whores would get to the kingdom of heaven before those who claim to keep the law, yet they do not. And that's how I got in with it with Dan Kersey because I posted it just like that on my Facebook, and he asked about arrogant big mouths. And he used for his name-calling the excuse that I have called many people names in the past. Well, yeah, I've called U.I. James a universalist, and I've called Russell Walker a clown. I've called Martin Lindstedt a Jew, and I could pretty much support that. I don't take any of that back. But I also have definite, provable reasons for my calling them names. So therefore, those names, anyway. So therefore, I'm not really name-calling. I'm just stating what I believe to be true. Russell Walker would waste your time incessantly. There are many people here who, and in Eli's chat room. And even Eli himself might attest to it. He would waste your time incessantly with emails and circular arguing. That's a clown. That's the reasons for my main, main calling. I would agree with Dan that I am an arrogant big mouse, But when I don't know the scripture, I keep my mouth shut. Dan keeps running his. So, and I've proven over and over again that he doesn't know the scripture. So I I would say that um, maybe I'm not the arrogant big mouth. Maybe Dan is. There's nothing wrong with name calling if you're calling the truth. If you're truthful and honest about what you see. We've been conditioned to be girls in this society. I'm not going to be a girl. You're going to hear the occasional cuss word. That comes right out of my heart. That's up front. That's the way I am. I'm calling it the way I see it. I'm using that occasional cuss word to either accentuate my point or to express my outrage. There's really nothing better to express outrage than the occasional well-placed cuss word. Is that a vile communication? Then, Joshua Christ probably should have never used the Greek word copros because we see that word shit, which was a legitimate English noun at one time, we see that as a bad word. Oh, we're not supposed to say bad words. No, that's not what a vile communication is. A vile communication is not simply a bad word. Because bad words are subjective in the minds of men. What a bad word is, is subjective in the minds of men. A real curse is when you do your, when you wish your brother wrong. That's a real curse. A real curse is when you lie about the word of God. That's a real curse. That's a real vile communication. When you deceive your brother. That's a real vile communication. Maybe when you're an unwarranted advance on a woman. That's a real vile communication. There are the things that come out of a man's, man's mouth that really defile him. Not the occasional curse word. That's the way I see it. And that's going to be my attitude. It always has been. Life is not about pleasantries and tea parties. As I said, this is a battle. So, if you're really going to fight the fight, don't whine about getting a little dirt, <laughs> about getting hit with a little dirt. That's just the way it is. And if you're really looking for the Rotary Club, or, or, or for the, 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 um, the PTA or the Teachers Guild, and, and that type of conversation... Please don't go to my Facebook page. Okay, this is an open forum, and I hope somebody has some input, some conversations. It doesn't have to be about the topic I spoke about. I just had to get a few things off my chest, and and, um, I I don't like making my my motives and and what I do the center of my talk, but I just had to do it tonight. And, and the conversation with Dan Kersey will be on the Christoginia Forum. It is now. And, and I will be adding some comments to it as, as I, I hope as the next couple of weeks unfold, Because I have a few things to comment on. And, and Dan Kersey, he has some problems. And that's all I'll say there. He'd rather his agenda than the truth of the word. Hello, Bruce. Hello, Bill. How we doing? Good, good. We need to have some sensitivity training, right? Uh, I guess so. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. A couple of people commented on on my use of, of a word in my heated conversation with Kersey and and Dom. I thought their comments were unwarranted, and and they should understand that we're playing for keeps here. This ain't no friggin' Boy Scout trip. I don't do this to, to to be nice to people. I, I don't. That, that's not the way I am. If you want somebody that's going going to talk nothing but pleasantries and and everything that you enjoy hearing, go go to Eli's forum.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it seems like uh, we're, we've been set up, and, and we've sold out. If we're honest, all of our race has sold out to uh, you know building this carefully built fortress. Called the, uh, you know, my, what do you call it? My personal desires, my uh, my little space. And if you go, if you if you enter that little space, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tear you apart. You know my you know my beliefs and my superstitions, my theories, my concepts. I I, th- I think the word of the word of Yahweh, the Almighty,
3: he wants to. We need to understand it, that that whole. That whole center needs completely obliterated. We're able to uh, know what I have an inkling of what humility is.
2: Well, and, and Facebook is the uh, perfect virtual battleground too.
1: Well, well, all I really want to do with Facebook is make my posts and get out of there. Right? It's not a good. It, it's not a teaching forum. It's it's very transient, and, and and the audience is limited. I'm not going to invest a lot of time in making long posts explaining things on Facebook. That's what my forum is for. And when I post something on my forum, it's there for hundreds of people to read. Or however many visit it, and, and um, not just one or two, and, and then it's gone, and, and you invested an hour or two hours into answering something lengthy, and, and it's gone in three days, and you'll never see it again. That to me is a waste of time. So Facebook is to go and make my post, share what I what I can with whoever's going to see it, and get out. That's what Facebook is to me. I didn't want to get caught up with Dan, but but he he um. He insisted, so I was going to have the conversation, right? And when I had the conversation, I left it there for everybody to see. One person accused me of deleting posts in it, and, and that person is falsely accusing me because I deleted nothing from it. And, and um, that, that's just ridiculous. It, it was a third party who was interjecting in a place where she didn't even belong because she was trying to change the topic, topic of the conversation, which is absolutely ridiculous. But... but, um. Uh, aside from that, I didn't delete any posts uh, from, um, I didn't believe anything that anybody else posted from, from that thread. I only deleted one of my own answers to that particular person having second thoughts about being so callous. And, and um, it was my own post, so I, I, I didn't have a problem with it. And it wasn't directed at Dan. That's the problem with Facebook is is you're having a conversation about a person with topic A and then somebody wants to just bring in topic B and throw everything off kilter, right? Which is ridiculous, too. They should start a new thread if if they really need to discuss something. Well, we got to have something tonight. I mean, more than my my diatribe, which which was probably um, (laughs) probably pretty useless. (laughs) I I just had to get it off my chest because um, it it needs to be said. This is supposed to be a war, and and we're seeking to please God. I I can't be a pleaser of men. And and that's, you know, my name's not Eli James. I'm not going to talk out of both sides of my mouth. I'm not going to talk pleasantries when, when I'm not feeling very pleasant. About what somebody else is claiming, that that's just ridiculous. It's that that is ungodly. If somebody needs to be rebuked, they're going to get rebuked. If somebody needs to be corrected, they're going to be corrected. If they choose a public venue for it, then so be it. If you need to argue with somebody and they choose a public venue for it, that then. That, doesn't, that shouldn't um that, that shouldn't temper your argument by any means.
0: Yeah, and it's not
3: about an intellectual argument either. I mean that's, that, that's something a circus clown is looking for as an argument.
1: Well, well right, A circus clown is looking for an argument so they could waste your time and, and try, trying to promote their agenda.
3: Yeah, when the Almighty confirms those things in the, in that open the living epistle of our, our, our genos, our genes, uh that that is of um that's as strong as death.
2: I mean it's it's uh it gives one it breaks apart the whole uh pacifier of seeking
3: some personal fulfillment or uh looking for some place in this stupid world that has nothing to offer.
2: Um, and I think a lot of people tend to think that uh, you know while somebody couldn't possibly you know want to waste our time or you know something as important as this. You know, y- y- why why would somebody want to chase their own tail? Well, you know, keep in mind a lot of people get a lot of entertainment out of. Uh, holding one of those pen lights and watching a cat chase after it for hours at a time, you know? It's kind of the same premise.
1: No doubt, there's a lot of professional trolls. And if somebody's pushing an agenda that's not biblical or that conflicts with the Bible they're not doing us any favors. If their agenda conflicts with with a good exegesis exegesis of Scripture, they're not helping our cause. You know, Paul said in in Romans, um, I think it's in Romans chapter 3, Paul said, if my lie advances the truth of Yahweh, why am I then still called a liar? In, In other words, God doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our help to to twist the truth of the word or or to add to it or or to um, systematically um, concoct false conclusions about the Bible and history. He doesn't need our help. The truth of the matter will stand or fail on its own. If something's compared to scripture and it fails, we have to let it go. That's the only honest way to look at the Scripture. And, and if your brother refuses to do that, well, well he, he, he's despising the Word of God. He's perverting the Word of God. Cursed is he who changes the word of his book. And, and it says in the Revelation... So, so that's no way to approach scripture, and, and we're not—we're well, not obliged to put up with people who treat it that way.
3: Now, blessed are those who are not ashamed of me. Joshua
2: said. You know, it is one thing to to get on these public forums and and discuss the Bible and Scripture and and have healthy debates on it. You know, I, we're all going to have um, you know differing views, so to speak. But you know, when you're able to get together and discuss them and, and debate them properly from from all aspects, that's a big difference from. Uh, somebody who uh, is deciding to pick up a pet doctrine and run with it and basically, you know, put that in in their brethren's faces and uh, ignore the other aspects of Scripture. The fact that they get called out on it and it, it doesn't end up you know, sounding or looking nice, well, that's just tough crap, that's just, that's the way it goes, people, you know, things like that and and activities such as that uh, should not go, I I shouldn't say unpunished, but, you know, it's our duty to uh, step up and put people like that in their place.
0: Hey
1: Bill, are you still there? I, I'm sorry that the um, I, I'm trying to answer. I got my microphone turned off again while Matt was talking. That the um, well, when people have an agenda, it has to be brought to the forefront. And, and Patricia Aiken has instigated greatly Jeff Westover and Dan Kersey in 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 um in in this whole situation, and I told Dan Kersey that Patricia Aiken was dragging the two of them around by the nuts. That's how I put it, by the testicles. And, and Dan, he didn't refute that, and he didn't, um, he, he didn't deny it in, in that thread, not that I remember. And if he didn't deny it, he, he probably should, and, or, or at least maybe it's true, and he should change his ways and not let himself be led by a vehemently angry woman. Patricia Aiken is a vehemently angry woman. She was my best pal until I stood firm against Eli James on his universalism. When I stood firm against Eli James on a race issue and on his issue of his poor scholarship in addressing and, and his dishonest ac- academic practices in addressing Clifton Heiser, well, well then, Patricia Aiken suddenly hated me. And she's had an agenda ever since to campaign against me. And she's manipulated Westover and and, um, several other men into um, following her agenda. And and that's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. That's the way I see it. And and that that is unfortunate because... um, Other men don't see it. They don't go back and see the way she slandered, the the way she began to slander me all of a sudden and and slander Clifton, try to say Clifton has Alzheimer's and Clifton is this and Clifton is that. I have seasonal affective disorder because I don't get enough sun. That's all crazy. That's just crazy. And this is the person they're listening to, blindly. Without ever coming to to the... um, to the other party and asking them what's up. If somebody suddenly started slandering anybody here, I would ask. I would want to ask both sides what's going on. If somebody started slandering anybody here, I'd, I'd ask both people their version of the story, so that I could get at, at, at least, you know, and, and any other witnesses I could, so that I could try to sort it out. Dan Kersey's attacked me for attacking Eli on Eli's program, that's a lie. That's the Patricia Aiken version of the story. The Christagenos program on Friday night was never Eli's program. Eli created that program upon his consulting with me if, he's, if I thought it was a good idea and, and I didn't mind his using the Christagenos name for that purpose. But it was never Eli's program simply because Eli put it on his Talk Show account. That's the nature of how Talk Show operates. I always saw the Chris DeGeno's Friday Night Program as our program, as my program and Eli's program. He made it to work with me when I got out of prison in February of 2009. We'd already worked together for about two months on the Yahweh's Covenant People program when he made it. That was never EY's program. And now he's absconded the name, or or he's tried to. uh, I got an idea for that, though, too, because um, I I own those domains. So I might point Christagenos.org and Christagenos.net and Christagenos.com to EY's Agbot's page. That way, if people look up Christagenos, they'll see EY's Agbot's page. Uh, I can play dirty, too. Uh, I've been kicking that around. But, but that's an aside, and and not written in stone. I'm sorry, Robert. You, you um, muted yourself. Did you have something else to say? Oh well, for uh, yeah, I I was uh, kind of interested in that you had made a comment in your last Matthew that I thought was more or less relevant to the topic that you have today, and that was uh, uh, if 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 those that are blind do a better job at keeping the law. And decided who's the hypocrite, right? That that's definitely the um, the meaning of the parable. And and to some extent, I, I know I'm probably guilty of this, but to some extent, I I do look at the position that the these supposed CI people are in, namely some of the ones you've named tonight, and even the rest of us. Um, it seems to me that for whatever reason, you always put us. You know, we actually have a heavier burden. Because we do know who the Jew is, well, well, we absolutely have a heavier burden. Yeah, to these to these other people who don't know what the Jew is, but they they are naturally community oriented or, or they're or they're you know loving towards their brethren in a natural way. Right, well, they end up
2: even in a higher calling. Than well, well,
1: right, absolutely, that's absolutely true, Robert, and and that's an excellent observation. And I've I, I've said on several occasions that the best Christians are people who really don't even know they're Christians. I mean, some of them do, right? They're churchgoers, but not all of them. That they're good people, that they never harm anybody, that they love their, their, their white kin and do things for them all the time, and it don't matter how they feel about the Jew, it don't really matter how they feel about the other races, but they've been edifying the people around them and their community their whole lives while they're blind, in their blindness, well, it could you know the other you could take this from another perspective too that may, that maybe some of us are in the position we're in right now as a sort of judgment on ourselves that we wouldn't naturally be that way in those other in those other situations that we're we're where we are right now because we have better service here than we would in the other position. Well, well, there's there's no doubt. I mean that's that's or hopefully we do if we don't do any better here. Well, well, you know, I like to say that a lot of us don't come to the truth unless we're hit on the head, and um, that that surely is the case with with my life. It is that I suffered a a, um, a a a change in circumstances, which which I whether it was unfair, unwarranted, doesn't matter. It, it was a, a severe change in circumstances that caused me to lose everything I had and, and rethink life. And, and that led me to this. And, and um, yeah, you know, maybe if I'd have carried the, the first ball a little better, I'd still be running with it, right? Well, that's why, that's why I kind of think, you know, people think it's so wonderful that they're, they're enlightened now. They understand who the Jew is. But it may, be, it may be a way of God saying, hey, you know, you missed the ball. On the and now you got better make up for it. <laughs>
2: you better make up for it. I mean, so instead of CI people looking
1: at themselves as being some somewhat superior, they might look at it from the other perspective. They may be freaking inferior. And right, that's absolutely. The only way that they have any way of justifying their existence is through spreading the mm-hmm. message to who the Jew is. Well, well, you know, even Paul said that he was the least of, of all men, that he deserved to die, right? He, he was yeah. the most pitiable of all men because he persecuted the assembly of God. Even though he thought he was doing the right thing, once he realized he wasn't, he under, that made him a very, very humble man, didn't it? Yeah. And he, he stated that he was the most pitiable of all men because he is... And, and that... It, in that... Yahweh gave him a much greater burden, didn't he? Well, to some extent, I think of the way, you know, I think of the conduct of what I did previously, thinking I was doing such great work, and it was all in vain, because it was all for the enemy. Right. Every damn bit of it. No doubt. That's a very good, that's an excellent observation, and it's very true. Well, what else is going on tonight? How are you doing, Mike? Pretty
3: good. I'm All right. some people in here. Hardly anybody talking again.
1: Well, well that's the way it is at, at the... Um, Chris, again, you're open Forum. What can I say? I'm on my second day of a uh, nothing but
3: juice fast here, so I'm going I'm to having a little irritation going on, so otherwise I'm good mood.
1: <laughs> well, that's all right. Uh, I mean, how many days do you plan to keep this up?
3: Uh, I plan to start off with ten days and continue in from there if I can, but, I mean, you know, as far as my attitude goes, I still feel the same way about Jesus. That's any consolation.
1: Okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, um, don't confuse Jews and Jews, huh? Yeah, huh? <laughs> well, what do you think about the Condit interview? There's an article on the front page of my mind comp site that I would really like you to send to Condit, right?
3: Yeah, I can do that.
1: It's that, that, that um, Otto Strasser and Douglas Reed exposed... You know, in that, in that vein, I would like to make a comment, which is start, it's really disturbing because there are a lot of CI people that are continuing to use views as references as if they've got something valid to say. Like right now, for this, the, the, the Norway or Oslo killing and bombing that went on, it seems, to, it seems that the big name that's being pushed around right now is this Mike Rivero. And he is a freaking top-notch kike. This guy is a sleazeball. Yet I see on a lot, of, a lot of different sites I've been popping up that he's being used as the authority for this. It <laughs> just drives me nuts. When are people going to learn not to use the Jew as a reference? And that's the same thing with Condit. Three-fourths of his stuff on that front page of his website is the is Jew. Well, well, absolutely, for every Jew there's an agenda.
2: Exactly. And I mean, every
1: right. single Jew has an agenda. They're all liars. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And, and I, I, I published stuff, and, and I got a few things on John eight forty four 44 that, that I published this morning, and they're from Jewish sources. But it's not because I'm using the Jews as an authority. It, it's because I want to show what the Jews are saying, about this, uh, this, um, ordeal, and let me go, and, and, um, current events. If you, if you want to use the Jew as a reference, I would use the Jew as a reference, is when they scream the most, you know you're on the right track. Just Well, like, well right, and, and here we have Dershowitz slams Norway for anti-Semitism. Alan Dershowitz, the the quintessential American Jew, right, slammed Norway for anti-Semitism. And and, um, that was on March 11th. I'm sorry, March 28th, 2011. And and there we see, and and there's another article here, and and it's from... um, it's from Jews, and and this is from Yidnet News, right? Ynet News, Israel, Norway inciting against us, and that was published November fifteenth, two thousand and ten. So, so we see that Norway was being accused by the Jews of that they were being accused by the Jews of all kinds of anti-Semitism, actually, because Norway is. It is um, taking up the Palestinian cause. They're being labeled as anti-Semites and smeared in in a media campaign by the Jews for the last um, eight or ten months. And and then all of a sudden we have all all these terror bombings and explosions. And and I, I don't think it's a coincidence, and that's why I posted those articles. Yeah, these guys are relentless. It'd be interesting to see if we could ever be relentless at something. I do find it strikingly amazing that that the uh, bombing took place on the uh, 25th anniversary of the King David Hotel bombings. (laughs) Why wouldn't it? What's the probability of that one? Well, well, I don't know what the Jewish calendar looks like. It might be that just about any day they had something, something nefarious happened. Right?
3: That's true. They like eleventh anniversary, so.
1: Well, well, we should not quote. It's nice to see what the Jews are writing. It's nice to see that when they have an agenda, we could use their writings and their sources to uncover it. We should not trust or rely upon Jewish sources to try to find the truth, because every Jew has an agenda, and every Jew is a liar. We cannot trust the Antichrist. We're told time and time again in Scripture to rebuke the devils and to have nothing to do with them. Period, and, and that's why it, it really—I um, really want to scream when I see people quoting Samuel Kapner as truth, especially when they're calling him brother, which is the the um, the term he insists on being called. I, I would never call him brother. I could never bring myself to do that. But but they're in, and, and they oh no, he's a good Jew. He he doesn't like the Jews. Okay.
0: Yeah, so the, the, the Pharisees were
1: words. always fighting with the Sadducees too, and didn't like each other. It, it, it's that there's no such thing as a good devil. That there's no such thing as a good um, enemy of God. It, it just can't be. You know, there's no good fruit has come from that fig tree since Yahshua Christ Himself cursed it. How can any Christian think that a Jew could give them the truth? Is just beyond me. Yeah, during a program or an a interviewer I used to listen to a lot, Eustace Mullins got on there and basically basically bitch-slapped him, so to speak, when he was trying to bring up the fact that there are good Jews and bad Jews. And Eustace, Eustace Mullins came back and he just said, basically that's an argument that's brought up to confuse the issue. They're all bad. <laughs> I'll never forget that because it, I, I was duped into believing at one time that there were actually good Jews. And I I don't believe that anymore. Even if they think that they're good and they're trying to do good, they've still got some kind of uh, displaced um, genetic factor that's causing them to do evil, even though they might not know they're doing it. Well, I, I've been. I, I wanted to make an evaluation in a Norway thing, but I held off on it. I okay. published some articles. I know, and you know,
2: that's not really even your
1: forte to make an evaluation in Norway. You've, it's better for you to just comment on the other stuff. But I mean, Norway. It doesn't really take a whole lot of evaluation to figure out that these guys are up to no good right off the bat. There was already too, too much information out there, and then the learned killer pops up, and, and he supposedly. A, um, you know, he's supposedly a white supremacist. When it, it turns out, he's he's basically a, a Zio neocon. Well, well, absolutely. And even the um, even the Jewish sources, the the Jewish ma- mainstream Jewish papers, right? Not not Jewish commentators trying to tell Christians the truth, but mainstream um, Jewish papers written for Jews have have. Um, admitted that he was a stauncionist and and supporter of of, of Israel. Which I was very surprised at their admission of that, right? Well, one of the articles, and I don't know if it's true, I I did see was he supposedly is a homosexual. I don't know if that's true, though. I haven't really gotten into it. Yeah, I've heard that rumored. I I dispel it until I, I, I see real evidence, right? Yeah. They wouldn't put it past me. Uh, I see that there's one popular picture going around of him in a mason's apron. In, in Masonic temple garb. That's no, probably just another Jew trying to confuse the issue. Could have a star David stamp on his head. That's what he's working for. It, it's very interesting that his Facebook page is, well, whether it's legitimate or not, was in English, right? And, and all the books listed in, in his reading were English books. Yeah, I wonder whose benefit that's for, that the American public is all riled up. Yeah, right. I, I didn't look at the, the, the whole list of books, though. I didn't. I I, I have to check that out yet. There's a few Facebook pages going around for him already, though. So, who knows what's real and what's not by this point? You know, I forget who that. I forget who that subverted nation page is. I don't remember that's RV's page or that's someone else's. No, it's client. not RV's no. page. That's that clown in Florida with the with the um what with the half breed yeah. wife or Scott oh, Roberts. But I think he
3: left her and he lives in Utah. Huh? Yeah, is that Scott Roberts subverted nation? Yeah. yeah, Adam Austin. Uh, uh, what's, 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 what's oh, his, yeah, his, that's right. Is he what Bill would classify as a clown?
1: Well, was he the history teacher,
3: Mike? No, that's Scott Roberts.
1: Yeah, Scott Roberts. Yeah, oh, Adam Houston. Austin. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, Adam Austin is subverted nation. He he, picked, he's a clown because yeah, he was a race mixer. And, and and um and and uh, I'm sorry, Bruce. He was a race mixer and a white nationalist at the same time. You you can't be that. You have to leave one to be the other. So Who's this? Adam Austin. Oh, really? Oh, I
3: I that didn't was know was a race
1: mixer. I thought he was married to a Cuban or something, or a Jewish or something no, like that. You're
3: thinking of Kurt
1: Maynard. Oh, okay.
3: Yeah, Adam Austin's got the sisters he has got a bunch of half-breed kids, and then he talks about, oh, there's no such thing as race, and he loves Negroes as much as he loves white people, and uh, but he hates the Jews. He's really no different than your, your average Muslim, right?
1: Yeah, right. He's a Jew, basically. He's a self-hating Jew. He loves race mixing. He, loves he hates, I knew there was a problem with him somewhere.
3: Oh, I didn't know that about Adam Austin.
1: And, and Scott Roberts is a clown because he's a history teacher that told me that we don't need the classics. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he told me on Mike's program that, that, that um, he claimed to be a history teacher and he told me that he wouldn't waste his time reading the classics, I swear. What kind of friggin' history teacher is he? Well, he wants to read what the Jews have to tell him. I guess so. So, so I called him a clown on Mike's program. Well, which was probably naughty of me, but he deserved it. He was a clown. He is a clown. How could you be a history teacher and and say we don't need the classics? I wouldn't waste my time reading them. What kind of history can I teach? History of the sexual revolution or something? (laughs) Everything, you know, no matter where you go in Western civilization, the foundation is in the classics. It, all of our founding fathers of this nation, they all read Plutarch's Lives. They all read Strabo and Diodorus. They all read Herodotus. They quoted from that stuff all the time. You don't understand what they're quoting if, if you don't read that stuff. Yet you don't understand what they've established their ideals in and, and where, where they were grounded if you don't have a, an inkling of that stuff. And it's the same with the Middle Ages. The, the people of the Middle Ages re- revered the classics for the most part. I mean, yeah, you had your barbaric Germans that didn't care about anything, but but um, most that most, all of the um, learned people of the Middle Ages appreciated the classics and, and learned from them.
3: Hey Mike, so what's,
1: what's what's this thing you have against uh, Dan the stock trader? You're just saying he's hypocritical because of uh, something he's doing with usury. Well, well, Dan the stock trader is—he's been going around with, with with Jeff Westover and with Patricia, and this all started in our conversation that I had with you right here about eight weeks ago, right? Yeah, you know my my, my position. Was that if if a man and and um, takes a wife and, and if he he thinks you know he doesn't know the law of God right and, and he takes this woman and makes her makes her his wife and they ha- start having children and and um and they're having conjugal relationships that if they learn the law of God and, and um come to the truth of identity, but, well, Dan and and Jeff and Patricia, their position has been that they have to stop having sex. Yeah, because their relationship stopped in adult, started in adultery. Yeah, and and therefore, every sex act is more adultery. I was trying to figure out what the usury had to do with the adultery. Well, well, this is what it has to do. Because the scripture says, he who would keep the whole law and fail in one point... Is guilty of the whole law. How am I a hipo- how am I not a hypocrite if I'm breaking these laws and and telling you you have to live by those laws? So what's he doing? Is he borrowing something? Is that what he's doing? It doesn't he's matter. Him? He's engaging in the usury system. Therefore, he has no right to judge his brother on any other law. Okay. I don't see that. It, I don't see that there's a single one of us on this board that's not engaging in the usury system. Well, well you're right, Robert
3: but we're not to judge our brethren by the law
1: but we're just oh. not i mean how could you be a stock trader looking seeking to make a gain from that which you did not earn and 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 tell me who i should be sleeping with i mean it's a race mixing one thing that's blasphemy to the holy spirit yeah you know that's that's an unforgivable sin but don't try to judge me by the Levitical law When you're in violation of it in another aspect. That's all I'm saying. And and Dan was finally, Dan the stock trader was forced to, to, um, in my my, um, discourse with him on Facebook, he finally said, well, that's between me and God. Well, guess what? If my wife wasn't a virgin because she had an indiscretion at 16 or, or whatever, that's between me and God right? I mean, if you're going to say that your usury is between you and God, don't judge me for my adultery, if you want to call it adultery. As far as I'm concerned, if another man doesn't have a claim on her as his wife, it's not really adultery. You know, if I make her my wife and keep her to myself, I don't really consider that adultery under the Levitical law, because there's no Levitical law that says that a woman must be a virgin when she gets married. Uh, so, so that's why I think they're being hypocritical, right? Okay. I just don't see anything different between a stock trader and someone who sticks their money in the bank expecting interest. Well, well, there is no difference, Robert. There is no difference. That's yeah. usury. You're partaking in usury. That that you're exactly right. But I'm not going to condemn you that, you know, that they're telling people that they have to, stop having a relationship with their wife, this is what they said on June 2nd. If you don't stop having this relationship with your wife, you face eternal damnation. Yeah, I realize that. I know, I know exactly, because
3: I took on the counter-argument with you a few weeks back.
1: Well, well, right, and and my point is that, well, well, if you're facing eternal damnation because you violate this law of God, you're not because you violate that law of God. That's hypocrisy. Exactly. And Dan's a hypocrite.
3: And he admitted it with his own mouth. And if he can't see it, that's too bad. And if I'm bad calling him that name, well, well, I don't repent.
1: If you keep the Ten Commandments, the Levitical law, we're free of the Levitical law. And we shouldn't try to hold each other by the letter of the Levitical Law, because we could never live up to it. But if you keep the Ten Commandments, you basically can't screw up in the eyes of God because you've accepted the, the blood of Christ as your cover, and you know that none of us can be, made, can be deemed righteous by the law, that without the mercy of God, we're all dead. That's the Christian, that, that's the Christian will. That's, that, that's the Christian model. That's how a Christian should act. Uh, I mean, it's one thing if if, if, if somebody comes along and grabs Matt's wife and says, this is my wife, and we all know it was Matt's wife, right? Uh, I mean, that's a problem. But if you show up with a woman, I'm not going to, it's not my place to ask you if she was a virgin. Was she a virgin? She's 45 years old, right? Was she a virgin? That ain't my place. It ain't my business. If she's not somebody else's wife, I have no right to say anything. And I have money in a savings account. I mean, it ain't much, but it's in a savings account. And it gets me about, I think, about $0.10 interest a month, $0.12 a month interest. And it's still usury, right? I understand that. No, the whole system is so corrupt. (laughs) It's like the whole system is a dead system. So it's just it's just a big gigantic lie. Well, well, right. But these people they are um, playing the Pharisee, as I first explained, and and telling people how they should live by the law. And, and they're basically telling couples that that are, even though it wasn't ideal, they're telling couples that are married that that they have to stop having sex and they have to split up, or they're facing eternal. Damnation. That's my disagreement with these people. I mean, marriage is what it is. Marriage, uh, an ideal wife in an ideal world, an ideal wife is a virgin. And, and, and an ideal husband keeps one wife from her virginity. That's the ideal world. That's the divine will of God. There's no doubt. But we don't stop having children because we learned the law at thirty years old. We don't put our wives away because we've we've made ourselves committed to those people, to those women. And and it's it's adding one sin on top of another to put them away. Well, there's bigger problems than that to deal with at this point. I mean as I, as I'm looking around me just where I live now, I mean I don't really see any young white males with white women or white women with uh, white males either. It's just, it's a disaster. Well, well it is a disaster. And, and we, we, um, well, we should not be discouraging white couples from having children. That's crazy. If your relationship didn't start off on the, on, on, on the right foot, what will you raise children and, and teach them better? And, and these people that want to rule over, over other men's bedrooms, well, well, it's one thing when you have a goat in there. It's another thing when you have a um, a, a little boy in there. It's another thing when you have a baboon or a negress in there. But if you have a woman in there and, and nobody else is saying, hey, that's my wife, well, well then it's none of your business, right? <laughs> it, it's none of my business who you got in there if, it, if it's a, an adult woman and... and um, some other guy ain't beating the door down. If some other guy's beating the door down, then we have a problem. But but, um, if a woman has no husband, who is anybody to judge you? And if her husband's off in Mexico with some Mexican, well, well, then he may as well be dead what we basically have is a widow well well right just one Abraham told Rebekah there were two nations in her womb, or, or Yahweh told, told um, Rebekah there were two nations in her womb. And, and that's before Jacob and Esau were born, right? Yeah, too good about that Esau character. Well, well my point tonight was, was, was to show the steps. And I read my paper on on biblical exegesis. to show the steps that that somebody who um, is true to correctly interpreting Scripture should take. And one has to be carefully studied before he concocts an opinion about something, because if you just... Concoct these hair opinions and and because it sounds good, you, you ta- now you've pre- developed an agenda basically right and, and you're going to force it on other people and, and scripture will prove it wrong in in areas and and then you're going to dismiss and deny your scripture because your, your, your concoction sounds good to you and, and that's the difference between a a study and an agenda. And that was my point: is to show the, the steps that that that, um, that I myself use to to um, create my opinions about scripture. That that it's not just uh, I don't just um, that there's a there's has to be. And and you should know that Robert, there has to be a methodology to your academics, right? I mean.
3: Well, that's why I, can't,
1: I could never quite figure out exactly what those guys were talking about. I mean, I understood the philosophy of what they were saying from the standpoint of uh, once you become knowledgeable of something, then you're guilty of the, of the crime if you commit that, that being knowledgeable. But if you go into something and you're not knowledgeable about it and then you become knowledgeable of something, well, it's already over with. So well, well, right, and that's the case with Adam and Eve. Yeah, that particular philosophy they were partaking of didn't make any sense to me because the re- the sin was done, but I took the opposite argument anyhow. I knew you'd come up with something good though from Adam and Eve. Well, well, it's right there. I mean, Eve had sex with the serpent. Right there, she should be stoned. She should be put to death. That's an adulterous woman. Adam should have stoned her if he really wanted to um, enforce God's law and love God more than Eve. But Adam loved Eve, and Adam couldn't do it. So Adam, yet you know, Paul says that Eve was was, um, deceived when the transgression occurred, but Adam wasn't. Adam chose his love for his woman over God's law and that's how the transgression and, and the fall was affected. Adam accepted Eve. So so now technically Adam is also in violation of God's law. And and the result was their fall from the grace of God and and the the curses that were put upon them in later on in Genesis chapter three. That fall from God's grace and their fall from their their um their first state, right?
3: And thus we are where we are today.
1: A- and thus we are where we are today. But now we have ten million e's or a hundred million e's, and we have a hundred million atoms. Today's atoms are deceived, most of them. Uh, I mean, they might know in their hearts that when something's right or wrong. Men naturally would rather have a virgin wife, a- and that's kind of. Yeah, you know, written into our hearts. There's no doubt. I mean, I wanted a virgin wife when I was young, and, and I I went, to, I burnt through three of them. I, I mean, that's I'm a sinner. I, I make no bones about it. Well, well um, yeah, you know, it, it's natural to us to want a virgin wife, but like you said, once we burnt through a few of them right. and a few other women, we have no right to expect one either. You know, because we've been lascivious ourselves. That there's no doubt. But but um, it's it, even though it's natural to have a virgin wife today. There are millions of Adams and millions of eves. And once they learn the law, if you're with a woman, you're committed to that woman. When Adam accepted Eve after her sin, he committed himself to her. He couldn't step away from her at that point. Once he took the fruit and he ate too, he could not step away from her and point the finger at her. He couldn't do it. Yahweh wouldn't let him get away with it. And, and Adam tried. Yahweh said to Adam, what's going on here? And Adam said, oh, the woman you gave me, she's a big screw-up. She made me do this. Well, Yahweh didn't want to hear that. And that's what Adam said. That's the way it's recorded. I'm just paraphrasing, of course, but that's basically the way it's recorded. The, the woman you gave me, she made me to sin. Well, well, Yahweh wasn't hearing that because Adam committed himself to Eve. He was committed to her and, and stuck with her at that point. He, he couldn't back away from that because he committed to himself to her. And, and Yahweh told Eve that her desire would be to her husband or her man, and um, that's another thing a lot of people miss. That word wife has no special designation in, in the Old Testament because the word woman and the word wife in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 are the same exact word, and a lot of people like Dan Kersey try to make a big thing out of where it says wife. Well, that's a translator's distinction that does not occur in Hebrew. Well, that's interesting. Well, where it says woman and where it says wife, it's the same word, Isha. Well well uh, once Adam took Eve, he, he he was committed to her. And he had to stay with her. That's it. Yeah. I hear Patricia's available for uh, uh Bill if you're interested. Well well Patricia's not available because she's not a virgin. Oh, okay. Aye. If if she wants to go play the widow, she she could go play it over somebody she could control, right? Patricia's a disgrace. Patricia has no right to judge anybody's marriage. She's 54, 55 years old. She's never raised a child. She is a disgrace. She has no right to comment. These women, unless it was for a reason of... of, uh, not being able to have birth, not having any children at that age is, is kind of ridiculous. Well, well, in in the ancient world, to not have children was a disgrace. And and it, if if um, I know there's men here with no children, but that, that's the way it was seen. And and I know it's it, it's hard to find a mate today, and it it really is. And it's hard to find a suitable mate, but. I would never judge her for being in in her state if she stayed out of other men's marriages. That's it. She has no right to comment. She has no right. She she has no moral authority to be a a judge of Matthew's relationship with Cheryl or Mike's relationship with Renee. Who the hell is she? Who's never had a family herself. Who's never done it right herself. And that's my point. She has no right to judge. Uh, I couldn't judge another man's relationship with his wife. I've been through. Um, uh, I've had three women. I've had long living relationships with. Well, and I'm not, you've I'm not right? counting you prison. Gotta
3: go find him, Bill.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's my point. I, I, I mean, we when we have failed, we shouldn't be judging somebody else. in those areas. Well, we have no right to condemn our brethren.
2: And and, and since we're not going to be
1: condemned by the law by Yahweh, we shouldn't be condemning our brethren according to the law anyway. And and that's the point that I made in my my discourse on, on Israel and our relationship to the law and our relationship to sin. We're all sinners. We're all condemned by the law. And because we're all condemned by the law that then we are um well, we, we we all have don't no, no right to judge our brethren by the law. Well let's move on to a slightly different topic because I'm kind of wondering after I've just had a couple come back from Canada and tell me that there's basically a veritable invasion in the Calgary area of black Muslims now. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Did I hear it from you or from somebody yeah, else? Yeah, probably heard it from me, and I, I look at that from a, a different perspective. I, I was there about 10 or 11 years ago, and what I saw was a an Asian invasion. So it sounds to me like, they, in fact, they said they, were, they, were, they saw more black Muslims in Calgary than, in one area than they've ever seen anywhere in the world. That's how much, that's how many are there. And I could have said that basically I had never seen so many Chinese people in one area about 11 years ago. So, this philosophy that, that you and, and, um, I don't know if it's a philosophy, but the interpretation of the invasion not necessarily being a military invasion, I mean, it could culminate in some sort of military invasion. It's, 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 it's definitely well underway. Well, well it's been underway. They, they've well, imported Cambodians to Wisconsin. They've purposely imported entire colonies of Cambodians to Wisconsin and, from what I understand, the hills of North Carolina. Who's doing this? Well, they're, they're, who's, who's paying for the plane trips to bring all these third world... It wars? has to be the State Department. It has to be our own government. Well, you know the State Department is 100% Jew.
2: Well, well it was, yeah, uh, it
1: was since the Roosevelt administration, I think. I, I mean, I don't think you can find anything in there but a Russian Jew. The entire State Department over at the Pentagon. That, now, so they've imported um, thousands of Somalis to both Maine and Minnesota. So why why is this not a complete, utter invasion as it stands right now, and they're doing it, they're just doing it right in front of our faces. Well, well, absolutely. I've been saying that for years, that the invasion's already taken place. What what, what point does it come to when the whites finally wake up and realize that these plane loads of of, ink of... Well, according to my reading of Ezekiel, I'll tell you what point it comes to when the whites wake up, when they realize that they're screwed. And only God could get us out of it.
3: Yeah, because I don't I don't personally I mean I, I, I always like this philosophy of moving to an all white area, but the whites are
1: so stupid in all white areas they'll just allow the everybody else to be plugged into their their region. So everyone seems to can escape. Whites in all white areas are usually very naive about the other races, don't know them, project their own values and behavior onto them, and imagine them to be just like them. And and it's suicidal. Rather than going and looking at the pictures of Detroit and, and Philadelphia and Baltimore and certain areas in New York and Newark and, and, and instead of going and looking at that and imagining that that's the result uh, of a, a, an area concentrated with blacks, that that's the natural result of what's going to happen, that they imagine just the opposite, that the Negroes are just like fresh prints that they see on TV and uh, all the other um, paid actors and, and everything's going to be just fine. It's crazy. White Rural whites are absolutely suicidal. I guess I don't... I, I'm, I'm having a hard concept of how we came from kind of a, a rugged type of people who was able to fight all these wars. Yet, we are so completely deluded today. <laughs> it just doesn't seem possible. I mean, I don't consider... I mean, you went through some rough areas in prison. I don't consider myself... Be all that astronomically intelligent, except in one area, and uh, it doesn't take a lot of uh, ability to figure out that these other races are, are are really a catastrophe to white civilization. I mean, anywhere they go, a white a white area becomes infested with crime. So I'm not sure why people still today, even with nearly every single large city which has been infested with blacks turns into a crime area, why they can't see that on their own and that that has to that's the blindness but <laughs> but, but, you're, you're, it, but the thing that drives me nuts is what what event is going to take place that's going to do that and, and, and it could just be that we're just going to be end to be surrounded and they'll finally figure out hey we're screwed because we've got we got 20,000 black families surrounding us and we got 100, 100 whites here. Kind of like South Africa. Well, well, yeah, you know, South Africa might be what we have coming in a lot of areas in this country. Because eventually they're going to outlaw guns. I mean, I can see that coming. But they're going to try like hell, right? They are. Well,
3: they'll have they'll have enough voting people from all these other. Wretched places on the earth to outvote the whites,
1: and then the guns are gone.
2: Well, they're not going to be gone.
1: Well, well, I got an email today. I got to look into it, so, so and, and I might post it somewhere. But um, it, it's from a senator. It, it's about a senator who has been anti-gun his entire career, who shot somebody who was in, intruding into his home. That happens a lot. The hypocrite Jews do that all the time. Right. And and this is a hypocritical senator from South Carolina. And, And, of course, I can't find the email when I need it. But I just get too much email every day. Yeah, I want to find it, and I can't. So maybe I'll find it quicker on a Google search.
3: from North
1: Carolina. I have heard of that too, though. That gun control freak shooting at senators' home. Let's see what this brings me. Tabor City, WTVD, the State Bureau of Investigation, is probing a shooting at the home of a North Carolina state senator. Yes, Robert. According to our news gathering partner, WWAY, investigators say Senator R.C. Soles, S-O-L-E-S, opened fire after two men tried to kick in his front door. The 74-year-old Democratic Democrat represents Columbus, Tender, and Brunswick counties in in the North Carolina State Senate. The shooting took place at his home in Tabor City. shot a 21-year-old in the leg. Well, well, according to um, what what I received in the email today, this guy was a huge anti-gun advocate. And he has a gun. And he's shooting at people with it. So that's, um, it's typical of our politicians to be hypocrites, that's for sure. Veer, I understand that um I understand that Jim I am i am responding to Veer's thing in the chat. Veer, I understand that Jim Condit's a disinfo agent. I, I understand that. That that's why I had the discussion with him, right? I, I hope to have a debate with him about religion as he he, he um, professed a desire to do. I'm curious about this guest one in his philosophy on atomic programs. He actually believe that the atomic bomb doesn't exist or what? Well, well, I don't know. It's hard to respond to chats when they're all up. I'm just curious. I've seen this. He's been on here a few times, and I just kind of wonder. It's not like there's not everything isn't run by the Jew. I mean, atomic energy is <laughs> how right the sun operates. Certainly not chemical. Well, we have to have something else here tonight. This can't be it o- already. It's only 5 after 11. Uh, I had thought I don't know if you want to go into
3: this, but, uh, were there silver scrolls in 600
1: BC? Yeah, the silver scrolls are, are basically only a, um, that there were a couple of them found, right? They're fragments of what must have at one time been a piece of silver with with scripture inscribed on it that was kind of rolled up and worn almost like an amulet around your neck. That's what they appear to be, right? And um, the silver scrolls have been deciphered, and they contain fragments of scripture, from a prayer, I think in Numbers or in Deuteronomy, I forget the exact passage, right? And they were found at an excavation layer which predates the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem in 585 B.C. And and they were discovered probably about uh, I guess about 12 years ago, give or take. Maybe 10. Uh, I forget exactly, right? It's been a while since I've read about them. But that's the silver scrolls that they really existed and they're legitimate from all um, from all the evidence anyway. How do you write on silver? They etched it. Oh. They, they didn't have ballpoint pens back then, right? They etched it. Okay. It's etched. It's like a what, like that's your gun barrel. Like that's um, a a Colt single action army, right? <laughs> they etched it. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Don't ask me how they etched it. <laughs> I don't think they had the acids and the, the sharp stylus. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, they had a lot of silver back then. Of course, they know it will last if they put it on silver.
3: Bruce. Hello. Hey Bruce. Bruce still there? No. Yes, sir. Okay. Are you gonna do any more talk shows, Bruce?
1: maybe okay yeah yeah most definitely so huh.
3: Is Mike Michael Delaney? You still there? He left a while back. He had to take
1: care of the kids.
3: Oh, I listened to a um, radio show where he was talking to a a negress that called in and started cussing and telling us all to go back to Europe. And (laughs) absolutely crazy. Well,
1: well, it sounds like this program's about over, right? Uh, I'm going to, um, I don't know. We're going to have to have some of these programs where we actually get some feedback. It, it's hard to have an open forum program when, when it's the same three or four people every week that ha- have something to say. Maybe I'm just expecting too much, but thank you for being here, everybody, and um, good night. Thank okay.